The good news is that with the arrival of vaccines, we're getting closer to the day when COVID-19 is no longer the greatest danger to our lives and to the economy. The bad news is that whenever that day does come, the climate crisis will be right there, ready to take back that top spot. It doesn't have to be that way forever, though. Last week, just before everyone in Ottawa started planning for the holidays, the federal government unveiled a climate plan. This plan is about what we can do for families, workers, and industry. Starting in 2023, we will put even more money in the pockets of Canadians by increasing the price on pollution by $15 a ton per year. Now, they've done this before. Of course, always too much fanfare and too middling reception from scientists and activists. And always, always too negative reviews from opposing politicians. What we have learned today is the federal Liberals will more than triple their national carbon tax. This is yet another attack on Alberta's economy and on Alberta's jurisdiction. Folks, this carbon tax is going to be the worst thing you could ever see. And that much, at least, has not changed. This time, though, at least at first glance, the scope of what the Liberals are trying to accomplish is much grander. The ideas are much more ambitious and unapologetic. The targets are ahead of the curve instead of catching up to it. At least, that's what the government will tell you. But what does Canada's newest approach to climate policy actually promise? What can it do, and how fast can it do it? And how does it stack up to those other countries who have been, for a long time, ahead of Canada? I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. This is The Big Story. Catherine Abreu is the Executive Director at Climate Action Network Canada. Hello, Catherine. Hi, good to be with you. It's great to have you. Thanks for joining us. When you heard that a new climate plan uh, was coming last week, be honest, what were you expecting from this government? I was expecting a plan for us to go beyond our existing Paris pledge. So we made a commitment all those years ago in 2015 in the Paris Agreement to reduce our emissions 30% below 2005 levels by 2030. And the whole way along, this government has been saying we have to do a whole lot better than that. And so I was really looking forward to a plan that took us well beyond that insufficient Paris pledge so that we could head into the next decade with the level of ambition that Canada really needs to be bringing to the table when it comes to climate action. And were you surprised with what we got? I know there's been a, a pretty good reception to this in, in a number of places, but not everywhere. It's a mixed bag. So there are some pleasant surprises, I think, for a lot of us in this climate plan. Um, of course, one of the big things that everyone's talking about is the changes that it makes to Canada's carbon pricing system. And there's some really welcome ambition in that carbon pricing plan. And there's also some really significant investments being made in parts of the Canadian economy so that we can transition away from uh, the carbon intensive economy that we have right now to the clean economy that we know we're going to need for prosperity and jobs in the future. That being said, it didn't hit the levels of ambition that we need to be hitting if we're going to be contributing our fair share of the effort to 
the global effort to confront cl- the climate crisis. So, you know, a bit of a, a mixed bag there. And I think it, it serves us well to kind of dig into the details so we know the parts of the plan that are strong enough and the parts that need work. Yeah, it's a really dense plan. There's a lot in here. Um, you guys have gone through the entire thing. Uh, how would you like to break it down for those of us who have just kind of seen the top line takeaways? Yeah, that's right. It's 64 new measures, about a 100-page document. It's a lot of material to go through. So I think it's really valuable for us to use a kind of set of criteria to assess this plan. And there are four criteria that I've been um, keeping in mind as I take a look at the plan um, and talk about whether it's effective and ambitious enough. So I can walk us through the kind of four pillars that I've been using to assess this climate plan. And we can talk about the pieces of policy that kind of fit under each of those pillars. Why don't we do that? And I will uh, interject with dumb questions when I don't understand something. (laughs) No, there's no such thing as dumb questions, Jordan. Um, So I think the first criteria is a pretty straightforward one, right? Are the numbers good enough? We saw with this plan that the federal government is telling us that we can do better than our existing emissions reduction goal, which again is to reduce emissions 30% below 2005 levels by 2030. We know this government is committed to reaching net zero emissions by 2050. And so we obviously have to do well better than 30% below 2005 levels by 2030 if we're going to get on that pathway to net zero. And with this plan, the government said, okay, we're going to get to about 32 to 40% emissions reductions below those 2005 levels by 2030. So not a huge bump in our existing pledge under the Paris Agreement. But the caveat that the federal government has put on this is they're saying, this is what we're going to do with federal policies, investments, fiscal tools alone. And if the provinces and territories come to the table, then we can push past that 40% upper limit that we think we can achieve with just the federal tools at our disposal. The other numbers involved in this plan are the investment numbers. So the federal government's now put $15 billion on the table for climate action. Is that good enough? By Canadian standards, it's a significant investment. We've not really seen huge numbers being dedicated exclusively to climate action before in this country, with the exception of the last few years. But if we compare that to international levels of investment that we're seeing in some of Canada's largest trading partners, for instance, some EU countries like France and Germany, who have committed in recent months up to 50 billion US dollars for climate action, or if we compare it to the climate plan being proposed by the Biden administration incoming presidency in the United States, that's a $2 trillion promise that they're making. So it's, again, one of this kind of mixed message or, or a sort of a mixed news on the climate plan where there are some significant numbers here from the Canadian government by Canadian standards, but when compared to some international leading um, countries, those numbers kind of pale in comparison. And just to be clear, when you say $15 billion for climate action, uh, what does that actually get spent on? Can you just sort of break down, you don't have to break down every dollar, but give me a, a kind of idea of what we're paying for here. 
So there's a number of things that that money gets spent on. Um, we see significant investments, for instance, being made in reducing energy waste and increasing energy affordability. And that's important, right? There are a lot of ways in which we currently waste energy in Canada. You know, there are homes that could be more energy efficient um, that thereby, by being more energy efficient, would help to reduce Canada's overall emissions. And there are some big investments being made in here and helping to provide some of those energy efficiency services to homeowners across the country, which will help people not only reduce their household footprint of emissions, but will help homes be more comfortable, will help energy be more affordable for those homeowners. There's also on the flip side, though, some really significant investments being proposed for industry. So we see things in this plan like the net zero challenge. And this is a multi-billion dollar challenge that's being proposed by the federal government to heavy emitters in Canada's industrial sector. And they're saying, hey, we've got about three and a half billion dollars here that we can put on the table to try to egg on a bit of a race to the top in Canada's industrial sector. We see net zero promises coming from some some segments of that industrial sector in Canada and the federal government saying we're going to put some money on the table to make sure that Canadian industry is actually putting forward net zero plans that work. Um, but the, there's a question that we have to ask there about whether that's the right strategy to drive emissions down in Canada's industrial sector. Is it the right way to go about it by putting those investments on the table or should we be using some regulatory measures? And I think that's another criteria we can use that I can talk about a little bit later of whether the balance between um, various tools that the federal government has at their disposal, uh, whether we're seeing the right balance in this, in this climate plan. So what's the second criteria that you use then, if the first one is the raw numbers? Yeah, so if we kind of take the next step, go beyond those raw numbers, I think for for me, the second question is, is this plan addressing Canada's largest and fastest growing sources of emissions? So I just mentioned that this plan's making some significant investments in reducing energy waste, in trying to kind of drive a, a race to the top in Canada's industrial sector when it comes to planning for net zero. There's also some investments being made in Canada's transportation sector, and that's really important because transportation is one of the two largest sources of emissions in this country. And figuring out how to reduce emissions in that sector when Canada's a large country with, you know, many people living in um, farther flung communities and it's cold and sometimes uh, less appealing to walk around or um, get around in, by other means. Mm -hmm. uh, we have our challenges cut out for us reducing emissions from transportation. And this plan says we're going to keep incentivizing um, the purchase of electric vehicles in Canada. But not only are we going to do that, we're going to invest in public transportation and active transportation. And that's a really good package to see. This plan continues, however, to struggle with figuring out how to reduce emissions from heavy emitters in Canada, like freight transportation. And what it says there is we're going to try to work with the United States to align Canada with the most ambitious fuel efficiency standards in North America. 
Right now, we are aligned with the federal government in the U.S. when it comes to fuel efficiency standards. And there are states in the United States, for instance, that have more ambitious fuel efficiency standards than the federal government in the United States does, like California. Hmm. So I think it's actually cool to see Canada saying, hey, maybe we'll align with California instead of the federal government in the U.S. to make sure we have that best practice fuel efficiency standard. However, there's one glaring gap in this plan when it comes to figuring out whether we're targeting the biggest emitters in Canada. And that's, of course, always the biggest gap in any Canadian climate plan I've seen in my career, the oil and gas sector. (laughs) That's the largest and fastest growing source of emissions in this country. And yet again, this plan doesn't do a whole lot to address emissions from oil and gas. What doesn't it do? So it doesn't use any of the regulatory levers that we've seen work in other jurisdictions to reduce emissions from oil and gas. And those levers are things like really aggressive and effective regulations to reduce methane emissions in oil and gas. So we saw in 2016 that Canada promised to reduce emissions from methane by between 40 to 45 percent by 2025. And the numbers that we're seeing right now from the action on methane that Canada has taken so far tell us that those emissions will probably only be reduced by around 29% by 2025. So we're already kind of missing the boat on reducing emissions in methane um, that that the government promised to reduce uh, four years ago. Now the government's saying, okay, we're going to set new targets for 2030 and 2035, and we're going to do that sometime next year. Methane emissions are really some of the cheapest, lowest hanging emissions reductions that we can target in the oil and gas industry. And so far, we haven't been doing a great job of doing that in Canada. And this plan kind of puts off improving those methane emissions reductions um, to sometime in the future. The other thing that we could do is actually just name the fact that we're going to be phasing out oil and gas production over time in this country. And increasingly, we are seeing jurisdictions around the the world do just that. So Denmark, a significant oil and gas producer, recently announced that they would no longer be approving any new oil and gas projects in their country, and that existing oil and gas projects would be phased out by 2050. That gives them a lot of lead time to plan for that transition in that sector to take care of workers and communities that might be affected by that transition. And it tells them the direction they're going in. And so far, we don't have that kind of clarity in Canada. And because oil and gas is such a heavy source of emissions in this country, lacking that clarity means that it's hindering progress on climate ambition in this country. I'm going to go out on a limb here and say uh, that has an awful lot to do with politics and the need for our friends out West uh, to buy into this kind of plan, which um, they may or may not do now, but definitely would not do uh, with a promise to phase out oil and gas, no? Yes. And that actually is a really perfect segue, Jordan, into my third criteria that we can use to assess this effect, the efficacy of this climate plan. So I think the third question we can ask is, is the federal government using all the tools in its toolbox with this plan? The reason that we have to make that question specific to the federal government is because this plan is the federal government saying, here's what we can do. And we are hoping the provinces and territories can bring more to the table and help us do more. So 
I think that really points to this question that you're asking, Jordan, which is, what can the provinces and territories do to push this plan further and to get Canada closer to where we need to be when it comes to climate action? It also points out some of the challenges of Canadian federalism, which is pretty constant source of strife to the level of consistency that we see with climate action in Canada. I mean, we're talking about getting Doug Ford and Jason Kenney on board with uh, a plan proposed by Justin Trudeau, which which seems to have a relatively low chance of success. And I wonder um, if it's maybe being naive to assume that the premiers would get on board like that. So, I mean, I think that um, we're in a place where we have seen really strong political messages being sent to politicians in this country from Canadians that climate action is a priority for Mm -hmm. most of the citizens across this country. That was a clear message coming out of the federal election in 2019. And we have consistently seen strong pushback coming toward those premiers that you named in Ontario and Alberta from their own constituents as those premiers work to roll back climate and other environmental policies. That being said, Part of the political challenge there is this question of economic transformation. And I do think that as long as we are lacking a plan in this country that speaks to people in various communities across this country about how we are going to be transitioning our economic sectors away from those carbon intensive activities, and toward taking advantage of this $26 trillion clean economy that is taking over global markets. Mm -hmm. As long as we're lacking that plan, I don't blame Canadians for having questions about whether they can really see themselves in a climate plan like we saw announced last week, right? And that's actually kind of part of the point I'm trying to make here is we need to be clear about where it is we're trying to go As long as we are not clear about that, we can't tell Canadians where their prosperity and their jobs are going to come from in the coming years. And politicians who are standing in the way of climate action are going to continue to have a leg to stand on um, as long as those Canadians are convinced that they won't be able to profit in that future. What's your fourth criteria? Because I want to get you to uh, an overall grade for this, and then I want to pick your brain quickly about the politics behind it. So the The last bit of criteria that I would use to assess this climate plan is the question, is it shifting the paradigm in Canada when it comes to climate action? And on that, I would give it a pretty firm yes. Um, I would say that this is a real turning point in Canada when Mm -hmm. it comes to bridging environmental and economic policy. So we've seen in other parts of the world you know, countries representing about 50% of global GDP have economic policy that really hinges on strong environmental policy. And we haven't seen that happening quite as much in Canada over the last decade. But with this plan, we see some really strong links to moving Canada's economy toward that clean economy, building kind of Canada's brand Canada, our clean industrial advantage, talking about the creation of jobs, um, the assurance of energy affordability to Canadians throughout the plan. And so I think when it comes to kind of initiating that paradigm shift, we have something really interesting with this plan. 
But again, it doesn't do that work of making clear what that energy transition looks like and the kinds of decisions we need to be making along the way. And so that's the kind of work that we need to be focused on moving forward. I'm glad that you mentioned that um, at the end because I've seen uh, a ton of reviews of this policy, usually by columnists, and, and you know, no harm to them because it's an incredibly dense uh, policy that kind of allude to the transformative nature of it. But when I think about where I fit into it or or what that actually looks like in, in terms of changes to our daily life, uh, I find it shockingly unspecific, if that makes sense. Yeah. So what is this plan going to mean for you? Um, and I think that that's a really legitimate question that Canadian governments haven't always been able to answer when it comes to climate plans, um, both at the federal and provincial and territorial levels in the past. But this plan is saying that we're going to make your electricity bills more affordable. We are going to make sure that as the carbon price continues to climb, which it will by now $15 a, a year per ton, um, year over year after 2022 to reach $170 per ton in 2030, we're going to increase that carbon price, but we're going to make sure the dividends go right back to you four times a year. And that's going to leave nine out of 10 Canadian households better off than they were before. We're going to make your communities easier to get around. Not only will we make electric vehicles more affordable for people to buy when people are looking to buy vehicles, but we're also going to make those improvements in public and active transportation so that you're not forced to buy a vehicle to get to your workplace, but you can walk there or easily take a reliable form of public transportation to get there. And I think that's the direction that we really need to be going in is talking about how climate action is changing the world around us for the better, making our health better, um, improving the quality of the air that we breathe. I mean, that's really how we got one of the most significant climate actions in Canada, Canadian history in Ontario with the phase out of coal power in Canada. That was all about air quality and the health of people's lungs. It wasn't necessarily about reducing emissions, although it has been the largest single source of emissions reductions in North America in the last decade. So making that human connection is absolutely essential. And I'm really hoping that this will also be a turning point for the ways in which the Canadian government talks to Canadians about climate change and climate action. So given um, what you said at the very beginning of this conversation, which was that, you know, you were expecting this to be a, a big sweeping change and, and to aim high, does it hit that given all the criteria you just went through? Um, or should there have been more? We have to do more. This isn't enough. That is the honest truth. That being said, we have a history in Canada of making promises on climate action that we fail to meet. What this plan did not do was offer a very ambitious emissions reduction goal and then fail to describe how we're going to hit that goal. And that's really all we've seen in the past from Canadian governments. Even with the pan-Canadian framework in 2016, we saw here's the emissions reduction goal we have. Here's our plan. Our plan is at the time 50 megatons away from meeting our 2030 goal, but we're somehow going to make that up along the way. This plan is more concrete. It says we know that the measures outlined here will get us a certain amount of emissions reductions, and we are not promising much more emissions reductions than what this plan outlines. 
but we know we can get more ambition if the feds if the federal government can work together with provincial and territorial governments and indigenous communities to do more. But what we're missing is a description of how all of those governments are going to come together to figure out how to push that ambition further, because it definitely needs to go further. And all those governments need to bring a lot more money to the table to make it happen. And that money isn't just about you know spending taxpayer dollars. It's also about improving the lives of Canadians And so figuring out how to bridge those political divides between various orders of governments and various communities in this country, figure out how we can all get on the same page when it comes to talking about effort sharing on climate action in Canada, and also figuring out how to tie some of those strong economic investments that need to be made to really palpable, identifiable outcomes for Canadians that justifies those expenditures. Those are the kinds of next steps that we need to be seeing if we're going to get the job done when it comes to this challenge. Catherine, thank you so much for walking us through this really dense package of legislation. And hopefully we exceed the goals this time. That would be nice for once. That's really what we're hoping for. And it's what we're going to be working to make happen. Catherine Abreu of Climate Action Network Canada. That was The Big Story. For more from us, including previous interviews with Catherine, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Of course, we're in your favorite podcast player, whichever one you prefer. And as always, you can email us, thebigstorypodcast at rci.rogers.com. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.